2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're on a series on live generously. There's a story of a man, he, was, he called a church, and he asked if he could speak to the head hog at the trough. The secretary said, who? The man replied, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. Not sure that she heard him correctly, the secretary said, sir, if you mean our pastor, you will have to treat him with more respect than that. You will need to call him the reverend or the pastor, but certainly you cannot refer to him as the head hog at the trough. At this, the man shot back. He said, oh, I see. Well, I have a $10,000 that I was thinking about donating to the building fund. Then the secretary responded, hold the line, sir. I think the big pig just walked in the door. Uh, That's a pretty good one. Come on. Deserve some more laughs than that. Uh, We're on our second installment on our series, Live Generously. Live Generously. And last week we talked about what it is that fuels generosity. And what fuels generosity is this an ongoing activity, an ongoing expression of joy, is that we give first to God before we give to others. We give to God because He's given to us. And today we're going to talk about how we get rich through giving, okay? How we really add true value in our lives is not through what we receive, what we take, but it's actually in what we give. In fact, there's a whole host of secular literature and articles that talk about that people who give tend to do better in life, financially and in other means, but it is certainly, as we're going to see, very true within the Scripture. Next week, we're going to take a break from this series, and it's going to be a Vision Sunday. Uh, This past weekend, the executive leadership team and the staff, we all went on a retreat uh, up up, uh, toward Birchville in a beautiful retreat area, and we just were together, we were praying, we were seeking God, we were talking together as a group, and we're excited about where God is taking us in 2019 and beyond. And so we have unity as a staff, as a leadership retreat. And next week, we just want to communicate where we're going as a church, where we believe God is taking us. And so we invite you to be a part of that. And then in the final Sunday in January, I want to talk about generosity with our spiritual gifts, our talents, our abilities. It's one thing to be generous financially, and that's great. But we're to be generous in all of life, and that includes our gifts, our talents, and our abilities that God has given us. Let's talk about financial generosity. This is not always an easy topic because when you talk about generosity, you talk about finances in the church, it is a perception of some within our culture. When they think about Christianity, they think about a televangelist. He's got on the Rolex watch, the fine tailored made suit and the $150,000 sports car. Now, I do have to tell you that I told pastors John and Josh not to drive their Jaguars into the service this morning. But uh, that's what we think of, is that people getting rich, fleecing the sheep. But I have to be honest, it's been kind of strange that people have asked me, Pastor, you, you need to talk about finances. You need to talk about giving. That's an unusual request. I can't say that I get that often. It's not really something I've talked about since I've been on staff, and it's probably a good thing to talk about. When you think about Jesus' teaching, 
of his 38 parables, 16 of them were about money and possessions. In fact, 15% of all of Jesus' teachings was about finances, was about money, was about possessions. And so if I taught with the frequency that Jesus did on money and possessions, I would probably have about two months out of the year of teaching on that topic. Get a hold of these statistics. When you think about the Bible, the word, the concept of believing is mentioned 272 times. Prayer is mentioned 371 times. Love is mentioned 714 times in the Bible. But giving and money is mentioned 2,162 times. Three times more than love, seven times more than prayer, and eight times more than believing. Now I have to ask, why is that? Well, we all know there's more important things than money, isn't there? But all of those things tend to include money, don't they? And money becomes kind of a barometer, a gauge of really what we believe, who we trust, and where the values of our heart really lies. It is a very tangible, perceptible, measurable indicator of our faith and our obedience to God. And it's an important step as we move forward in the adventure of discipleship and following Jesus. So this morning, what I want to simply is to give you the punchline of the message, and it is this, that we become richer, not through what we take, not through what we receive, but through what we give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 6. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you've not already done that, if not, we'll have the scriptures by way of the screen. Now, by way of a quick replay from last week, we said that Paul <clears throat> was writing to the Corinthians, and he was doing so to encourage them to follow up on their pledge to giving to the church in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church, the Jewish Christians there were suffering a famine. And so Paul was soliciting several of the Gentile churches that were wealthier, that were doing better to provide famine relief to this church. The Corinthians had started to give, but then they didn't follow through on what they promised. And Paul just didn't want it to be like a balloon that he just keeps batting up and down where he's always trying to hit them and motivate them to give. He's wanting now to put helium in the balloon. And he's wanting them to soar. He's wanting them to grow. He's wanting them to develop in their giving. And so he's telling them that when you give, it is an act of worship. It is a way that you become richer. And so by way of your notes, the first way that giving makes us rich, as we see in our teaching this morning, is that giving makes us richer in faith. Giving makes us richer in faith. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, by way of the screen, says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The scripture is clear. You give, and it's coming back to you. You give a lot, and a lot's coming back to you. You give a little, and a little's coming back to you. If you are generous to others, then you are going to get generosity back into your life. Now, let's make something so clear. God does not need our giving. God doesn't need our money. 
Back before there was nothing. Back before there was time. Back when you go to Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, there was absolutely nothing. God, with just a single word, created the universe, the cosmos, in everything. He created the world. And there was not one person. And there was no one to give to God. And God created and established it all. And when you look at the universe and all that's in it, are peewee giving doesn't add one single thing to what God can or can't do. God doesn't need our giving. He can do everything apart from us. But why does he command us to give? And why is it a part of the spiritual economy of the scripture? And it is because giving blesses us. It blesses us. Think of the story of the little boy. So it's Jesus, and you've got the 5,000, and they hadn't eaten for several days. And Jesus wants to feed them. And there's this little boy, and he's got these five loaves and two fish, and he gives it all to Jesus. And Jesus multiplies it, and it feeds the 5,000, and then there's leftovers. Now think about this. If Jesus only would have had one, or the, the little boy would have only had one piece of bread and one fish, or one loaf of bread and one fish, the result would have been the same, wouldn't it? He could have multiplied an even lesser amount to feed the 5,000. Let's say the little boy only had the fin of a fish and a bread crumb. He could have multiplied that as well to feed the 5,000. Let's say that nobody gave Jesus anything. He could have snapped his fingers and all of the hunger pains could have gone away, couldn't they? People could have felt full even without anything that was given. But this little boy gave and something very significant happened. A little boy who didn't think he was very significant who in that crowd of 5,000 would have looked at him and said, there's nothing really spectacular that he could do. There's nothing that great and valuable about his life or what his offering is. But he gave it to Jesus. He gave all of it, and Jesus used it. And who was the most blessed person on that particular day? It was that little boy. Because here he came with his own Hebrew hot pocket, and his Levite Lunchable, and it turned into a whole tailgate party that fed this crowd before Jesus gave this amazing message. And it is this little boy that was blessed, not because Jesus needed it, but because this little boy was going to find his significance before God and his gift of faith. Now what if the boy would have not given? What if the boy said, I just want it for myself? Who would have lost out? It would have been him. We give because it makes us richer. It increases our faith. Number two, giving makes us richer in joy. It makes us richer in joy. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want you to give like you're paying a bill. God doesn't want you to give like it's April 15th, like it's something you have to do. God doesn't want you to do it because you feel forced to do it. 
God wants you to do it because it brings greater joy into your life. I think of the story of a mother and her daughter. They were going to church. The mother gave her daughter two, two pieces of money, a dollar bill and a quarter. And she says, now when the offering plate comes around, you give whichever one you want to. The daughter determined she's going to try to do better and give the, the dollar bill. Well, she gave and they, they left church. And then the mom said to the daughter, which did you give? She says, well, I was going to give the dollar bill, but I gave the quarter because I heard the preacher say that God loves a cheerful giver. And I felt like I could give the quarter more cheerfully than the, do than the dollar. And folks, that's not what Paul has in mind here. He's not saying give what makes you less unhappy. The word here for cheerful is it's a Greek word, hilarion. It's where we get the word hilarious, laughter, joy. We give the amount that puts a smile on God's face and puts a greater joy in our heart. We give the amount that makes God laugh with joy. It makes us feel good with the pleasure of what our finances are doing to expand the kingdom of God. I think this week or a few weeks ago, the man that we were down ministering in Marine City this past summer, some of us were prayer walking, and me and this other individual were able to stop and talk with a guy talked with him and his family for about an hour or so, and we were able to share Jesus and share the love of God with him to pray for him. And it was about three weeks ago he had lost his house, and now he's in the process of rebuilding, and we are right now planned in this next week with our benevolence to help supply this man's needs or at least some of them. And we were able to share the love of Jesus in word. We were able to pray with him. And now we can do that indeed. And when we do that, folks, that makes God smile. He likes that kind of thing. And I hear about that, and that brings joy to my heart. I think about an email that I received this week. Somebody said they've connected with Crossroads. They're coming to know Jesus and Jesus is rebuilding their life, and they don't have it all together. There's a lot of imperfections or imperfections, but they know God's forgiveness, and they know that God has their back, and this person has a destiny, and I, that brings joy to my heart, and that puts a smile on God's face. I think of the generations that are growing up in this church, the generations where the faith is being passed on from person to person to generation to generation. And that brings joy to my heart and that brings a smile on God's face. A few months ago, we had announced that the trustees want to do outreach into the community once a month. And not just help pick, fix things around the church, but to help maybe go into people's homes and help them with repairs, with particular needs they have. And a couple of weeks ago, a team of us met together, and we now have a plan to put that into place. And as we do that, that brings a smile on God's face, and that brings joy to my heart. And that's the kind of giving that when our funds, when our resources are going for those kinds of things to bless people and expand the kingdom, there's a joy that comes from that. And God delights in that. And God smiles. 
Now, let me take kind of a sad ways, a sad road here. Let's talk about the standard of giving. What is it that we should give? How do we determine the amount? Let me cut to the chase and just tell you what I believe. I, I think the majority of pastors tend to believe this and, and teach this, and I think it biblically makes sense. And I want to make the, the case for this. But I believe when it comes to giving, the Bible would teach us that the basic standard of generosity is 10%. That's the tithe. The basic standard of generosity is, it's a starting place to think about when it comes to giving. Let me make the case for that with a few points. First of all, even before the tithe was established in the Old Testament, that was the universal practice amongst religions. They tithed. Even Abraham, when he tithed to Melchizedek, who was a pagan, he gave 10% of the spoils of that war. It was a common practice. And then the Old Testament adopts it. There's 10% that was given to the priests and the Levites for their work of ministry. But in their overall giving with all of the offerings, it was probably about 27%, but 10% went for the ministry. In fact, the tithe is the only thing in the Bible where God says, test me in this. Test me and see if I will not pour out blessing. Look by way of the screen at Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Malachi says this, the very last book in the Old Testament. He said, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out as much blessing that there will not be enough room enough for you to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. God says, test me in this. There's a pastor in Missouri. He believed in this. He taught in this so strongly. And he said to his congregation, he says, if you tithe and God does not return more, you're not in a better position than you were before you tithe and after your tithe. He says, I will refund your money. And I want to make that same promise to you. That if you tithe and you are not in a better position, in a better place, then that pastor in Missouri will refund your money. <laughs> I don't know who that pastor is, so I really can't stand behind it. But when you think about going to a restaurant and the general, the minimum base of gratuity, the minimal expression is 15%. At least that's the latest I've heard. You go to a restaurant, you get minimal basic service, the water's brought to you, the food's brought to you, basic standard service, there was nothing rude from the waiter or the waitress, you're to tithe 15%. It's a basic standard. 
But then if that waiter or waitress is very friendly, goes out of his or her way, increases their level of service, they make your time there at the restaurant to be even better, then you go from the 15% and you raise your level of generosity. And if in the Old Testament, with the level of service that was given under the law in the Old Testament, 10% was the standard. Now in the New Testament, we have the fulfillment of all of the promises, the prophecies. Jesus has come, he has lived, he has died, he is buried, he is resurrected, he has forgiven our sins. We now have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We now have clear revelation of where God is taking us into the future through the book of Revelation. My question is, and we live in the most prosperous economy in the history of the world, why would we not want to increase? As God blesses us from the 10% to raise the level of generosity. So the question is, is how much should you give? Well, I can't tell you that this morning. I'm going to be off the hook on that one. That's between you and God. As I said last week, giving is first to God, then it's to people. And so you have to go before God and you have to say to him, Oh God, what's going to bring a smile on your face and what's going to bring joy in my heart? What do I value? What do I prioritize? What is it that means the most to me? And then to allow your finances to follow your heart. Because Jesus says that where your treasure is there, your heart will be. In fact, it was last week after the initial message on giving, Brenda was talking to me. He says, you know, we need to pray. We need to think again about what we give. Maybe we need to increase our generosity. And I think it's something we need to continually evaluate as God blesses us. Number three, the third way that giving makes us richer is giving makes us richer in our own, in the use of our resources. Giving makes us richer in the use of our resources. That when we give, that what we have left is going to go further, will be managed better, and will be experienced with more joy and contentment. Look again, verse 8, as we pick up from 2 Corinthians 9. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched, verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We are generous. God blesses us more. Why does he do it? So we can be even more generous. So that we be more expressive of our worship, of our giving. Look by way of the screens, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Solomon writes, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. Luke 6, verse 38. These are the words of Jesus. Given, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's interesting that every 
Christian financial expert I've ever studied. Going back to Larry Burkett in the 80s up into the 90s, who's now passed away, to the ministry that grew out of his work, Crown Financial Ministry, to Ron Blue today, to Dave Ramsey. All of these men have said that at the very heart and the core of your financial management, the first thing you need to prioritize is your giving to God, is to put Him first, because He will make all of the rest of your finances go further and do better than if you kept it all to yourself. Because when you give first to God, you make God your ally. Even if you're in debt, even if you're in financial struggle, when you start to prioritize God, you will get him on your side to help you out of whatever pit that you have dug yourself into or maybe has been dug for you by circumstances. When you give first to God, it is a tangible indicator of who you trust. When you give, you say, God, I trust you with the first part. So, Lord, you are honored, and I trust you. And, Lord, you are the one who provides for my life, and it's a tangible way to show that. When you give first to God, then you are content in the rest of your finances. When we don't give and we're not generous, we tend to want more and more and more, and we're never happy. But when we give, it kind of releases that grip of wanting more and not being content with what we have. And when we give first to God, then he gives us wisdom in using the rest. It breaks the power of selfishness. And unselfishness begins to grow within our heart, our minds, and our thinking. And folks, when we're unselfish, guess what happens? We become better spouses. Aren't there some marriages that could use some growth through unselfishness? When we are unselfish, we make better friends. When we're unselfish, we make better relatives. When we're unselfish, we make better employees and employers. And when we are unselfish, we are in a better place to more clearly see how to manage our finances because we rather we have control over it rather than it having control over us. And that is part of the blessing that comes when you give first to God. You with me so far? Let's bring this in for a landing. To be a better giver, let me give you a couple of ways to put shoe leather on this. First of all, give to God first. Give to God first. When it comes to the things that you are blessed with, that you've been given, give that first part to God. Make your giving to God the first thing you do before anything else, and that is an act of trust. But I'm hearing some of you this morning, you're saying, giving 10% or more? Pastor, there's no way. You don't know how much that makes me afraid. You don't know how much that frightens me. You don't know how much that when I look and do the math that that is just not doable. And I want to say to you this. Grow in your giving like you grow in everything else. You might want to pray more. Maybe you're not the prayer warrior that you want to be. So I would say to somebody who's never really prayed, take a couple of minutes, five minutes every day, and talk to God and allow God to talk to you, and then build from there. 
comes to reading your Bible, read a few verses every day and then build from there. Whatever act of obedience, and so it is with giving. Maybe for you it starts small. Maybe you've not been a regular giver and maybe for you it's just starting with 1%. Then moving from 1% to 3%. It's between you and God. What is it at the point you're at where you will bring a smile to God's face and the increase of joy into your own heart. I also know that this can be a topic that can be difficult for spouses, and they come into disagreement on the amount of giving. And my encouragement with spouses is that come together, talk about it, pray about it, and come to a level that you both can agree together. And then as you step forward in that amount, whatever it may be, then continue to let it grow as God leads. And I say this again with all my heart. Give first to God and then give to people. It's a first an act of worship, then an act of obedience. Number two, give to God faithfully. Give to God faithfully. Just don't give occasionally. Whatever you've determined to give, give faithfully so that it continues to show what you value, what you prioritize. It was in a Forbes magazine article that the richest 80 people on earth have more money than the poorest three and a half billion people on earth. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? 80 of the richest people on the planet earth have more money than the poorest three and a half billion. And one of those 80 people that the article highlighted is a guy by the name of, of Larry Ellison. He was a founder of the company Oracle. He's worth $58 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Talk about how he spends his money, that he's got 15 major real estate properties all throughout the world, incredible mansions, incredible homes. He's got two yachts that are as long as half the size of a football field. He loves to play basketball, and when he's on his yacht and he's out in the water, he has a guy who's driving beside in a speedboat so that when the basketball goes over into the water, the guy in the speedboat will retrieve the ball and get it back up to the basketball court. They go, well, that's a lot of money, isn't it, to do that? But you know what? Are we really any different? Compared to most of the world and compared to the standards of living historically, we're still pretty wealthy. We have a lot of resources that other people have never had. And the fact is, is that what we give, what we surrender, what we pour out to others is going to be a, val is going to be a measure of what we truly value and what's important to us. I want to invite the worship team to come forward and I want us to stand and I want us to read a scripture, a couple of scriptures together that highlight the importance of this truth that we're not rich through what we take, through what we receive, but we're rich through what we give. We have Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 by way of the scripture, by way of the screen. Verse 24, let's read that together. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Heard the story of a man, every time he wrote a check, 
and he gave it in the offering. When it says on the memo, what are you giving it for? He would always put for our Lord. And when it comes to giving, that's the bottom line. It's for our Lord.